Hi, and thanks for joining us for the AGD podcast. I'm Dr. Wes Blakesley, and I'll be your host today. The coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, has turned the world upside down over the last few months, and our world in dentistry, too. We're facing huge challenges in not only how we manage patients, but also how to create an environment of safety for ourselves and our teams. Today, our guest is microbiologist, Dr. John Molinari, the leading infection control educator in dentistry today. He's gonna educate us about COVID-19 and how to stay ahead of the curve. Dr. Molinari and I have agreed to go on a first name basis. So John, let me give you a warm AGD welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you for having me. This is gonna be a very robust discussion and uh, I hope in the next 30 minutes to uh, avail our members to the information that we really need to know to uh, create safety for our patients and for our teams. Uh, John, I'd like to start off with uh, just a brief discussion about the epidemiology of coronaviruses in general and COVID-19 and, uh, and maybe leaven that, 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 that discussion with a little bit about transmission and inspection. I'd be happy to. One of the first things to remember is coronaviruses are not new viruses that just came on the scene. Uh, groups of coronaviruses have been around and documented for many, many years. These typically are respiratory viruses that are passed between animals. Uh, they can be passed to humans. And one of the things that happens in humans, as we've seen over the years, is that they can cause uh, infections that are similar to the common cold. As a matter of fact, the, the, the symptoms are much like the common cold uh, with the headache, uh, fatigue, et cetera, cough, uh, typically a mild fever, if there's any fever at all. In um, some years, uh, coronaviruses can account for about uh, 15 to up to 30% of the common colds that we see in adults. So again, these have been around for quite a while. With COVID-19, one of the things that people also have to understand about many viruses is viruses can be passed between species at times. And coronaviruses is one of those groups of viruses. All coronaviruses, at least as far as people have been able to discern, uh, start in bats. And they spread to other animals, mammals, birds, etc. As these interspecies transfers occur, viruses can pick up or lose some uh, virulence capabilities. Occasionally, they can be passed from animals to humans. And this is evidently what happened in the uh, live animal markets in, in China. This is not unlike what happened with SARS in 2002. It was the same thing in another part of China. And we have people and animals interacting, respiratory secretions, et cetera. It's possible for the virus to get into humans. In this case, when it got into humans, it caused a much, much more severe respiratory infection than what we typically see with other well-known groups of coronaviruses. Even so, as you've already heard the statistics, about 80% of the COVID-19 respiratory infections are relatively mild. People recover, and that's great. A percentage, about 20% or so, people develop severe infections requiring hospitalization. And they can develop bronchitis, pneumonia, and, and tragically death, and all of your listeners are well aware of that. Uh, individuals who seem to be the most susceptible are the elderly, 
people with immune compromising conditions. Um, those have accounted for uh, much of, of the deaths. However, uh, as information is continuing to get uh, accumulated, uh, more and more hospitalizations and infections in young individuals has been recorded, especially serious hospitalized infections. That's, that's alarming. One of the things I have to mention here before, uh, <clears throat> before we move into something else is I've heard a lot, unfortunately, that, well, this is, this is just like flu. Not so. The flu is bad enough. Uh, the flu hits you like gangbusters in about one to three days. This has a longer incubation period, anywhere from two to 14 days, and it is much more infectious and has a higher fatality rate. That's what makes this so aggressive. The flu has an annual fatality rate of about a tenth of a percent, which is bad enough. This has a fatality rate that uh, we're looking at uh, well over 1.5, possibly 2% or more as we get more information that is still being uh, evolving information. So COVID-19 is far more infectious than the flu, and it's also having a higher fatality rate. One of the things that people have been asking is, um, well, uh, isn't it passed the same way? Don't we have the same risks? And again, the answer is no. Uh, the flu has what we call an RO, transmissibility factor, of about 1.2, 1.3, meaning a person with the flu can pass it to another 1.3 people. COVID-19 is about 2.5. So you see that it's much easier to have this spread throughout the population uh, with someone who is uh, uh, incubating or who has symptoms of COVID-19. I hope that gives you a little bit of uh, uh, background information. As I said, mostly it's uh, the symptoms are respiratory. The virus is carried in respiratory droplets. Uh, it, they, they can get on uh, surfaces, um, uh, doorknobs, handles, contact, uh, uh, hard surfaces. So when people are touching these surfaces and then touch their mouth, their nose, their eyes, or whatever, it's possible to transmit it that way. It's, that's why we've taken so much of these social distancing and hand hygiene practices that we've had. They are the most effective ways to uh, interrupt the transmission at this point. Alrighty, uh, John, because we don't have uh, a lot of time to discuss COVID-19 today, I'd like to basically go back to the basics because I think okay. that's base, uh, use the same word basically, that's our, our chief way to uh, combat COVID-19. So I'd just like to spend some time uh, discussing hand hygiene, personal okay. protective equipment, and surface, surface disinfection. I think if we can go through those in the time we have left, it'll be a great service for our members listening in. So let's start with hand hygiene. Okay. All of your listeners learned very early on in their careers, hand hygiene is the single most important infection prevention procedure that we do. Uh, washing with soap and water is very, very effective. Uh, if soap and water is not effective, uh, is not available, and your hands are not soiled, uh, the high alcohol, uh, waterless hand antiseptics are uh, routinely recommended, and they work. Washing hands with soap and water, either into microbial soap and water or plain soap and water, has the excellent benefit effect of mechanical debridement. Soap is an anionic detergent, and it actually can lift 
debris and organisms off of the skin. And this is, this is how it works. It actually attaches and it does lift and remove the organisms. There's an antimicrobial component, that's an added feature. These things work and they work very well. The trick is people have to do them appropriately. Uh, you, you and I are old enough, Wes, to remember <laughs> the term, the old doctor's wash, the old doctor's hand wash that we used to see in the hospitals and, 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 and all around, where instead of washing hands for 15 to 20 seconds, people would wash for like three to five seconds. That's not effective. You need to do a good hand wash, a good hand scrub. And many people are using the high alcohol hand antiseptics uh, in lieu of hand washing. Those work on clean hands. Alcohols do not clean soil. So they're effective and they work, but only on clean hands because alcohol doesn't, doesn't clean. There are people that are having problems with the uh, high alcohol hand antiseptics. Their hands are dry and they're sensitive to start with. And so one of the things that, that has been out for a number of years also are these non-alcohol waterless products. These have an antimicrobial uh, benzylconium chloride, uh, which has been around for a long time. And that does not dry the hands out as much. It, it works. There are, uh, they certainly aren't used as much as the high alcohol products because alcohol works much faster. But these are alternatives. The trick for whatever you're using for hand hygiene, you need to use appropriately for the appropriate length of time. Hope that helps. Yes, it does. Uh, John, I actually uh, shared with you that I listened to one of your webinars, which was excellent, and you talked about dermatitis, which I think most of us okay. uh, who have been practicing a number of years, uh, me, 40 years, I've uh, had. Uh, what about some lotions? Any uh, utility to putting a lotion on if our hands really get dry and chafed? That's, that's an excellent question. And um, there, there, are, there are good lotions, and they've gotten better. One of the things, uh, again, to keep in mind is that when using hand lotions, certainly when you're in practice and donning gloves, et cetera, is uh, we, we traditionally in our home lives have used petroleum-based lotions. Uh, these are not appropriate for, for practice, partially because the petroleum material uh, doesn't uh, work its way and uh, penetrate and absorb into the skin as readily as water-based lotions. So there can be a reaction between the petroleum-based lotion and some latex and even some of the nitrile gloves. So we use a water-based lotion that works its way into the epithelium and does an excellent job lubricating. There have been some very, very good ones uh, that have come out. These, at the very least, are good lubricants. You have some products also uh, that have a later generation uh, feature where they can actually uh, heal damaged uh, skin, and that's, a, and that's also good. One of the basic things, since, since we're talking about hand hygiene very briefly, is uh, it's important for people to remember that, that frequent hand washing, of course, uh, can cause some, some dermatitis, some breaks in the skin. You're in New Jersey. You're still in winter. Uh, one of the things that will happen is you may have some redness and the early signs of dermatitis. When washing hands, it's incumbent upon that person, if they have that redness, to rinse that area of damaged epithelium better than the rest of their hand because that damaged tissue can hold the soap more tightly. So now you won't be able to remove it as easily if you're just doing a quick, a quick rinse. 
And when you put your gloves on and perspire, that soap can become quote unquote reactivated and cause itching and people scratch and then the dermatitis gets worse. So it's best to catch the dermatitis at an early stage uh, if you can with, with effective washing, but also very effective rinsing. I'll just share with you my oldest daughter, uh, who's an ICU nurse up in uh, Tufts University Hospital in Boston, has been really plagued by this over the years. And I'm going to share this information with her after uh, after this podcast uh, comes up. I'm going to have her listen in. And uh, God bless her for what she's doing. Thank her for uh, what she's doing for us. Yeah, and her fiance is an ER doctor up in Boston too. So we pray God, for them well, every day. You. But thank, but thank you for that, John. I appreciate it. Let's okay. jump into uh, into personal protective equipment and masks. Everyone is just going crazy about masks. What kind do I use? Uh, how do I use them? You know, it goes on and on and on. So let's devote a little time to that because uh, most important for us, we create aerosols. Right. Well, uh, standard precautions have worked. Standard precautions where we treat everybody as if they're infectious. Uh, have worked and they work well. In this instance, what we're looking at is a highly infectious virus uh, that may, may remain suspended in the air longer than other organisms. Of course, it's present in droplets. And so the recommendation for these highly infectious organisms, certainly in medicine, has been the N95 respirator. These are a step up from the regular surgical mask that uh, you and your uh, colleagues have been uh, using for years, even level threes. And so the recommendation is to use an N95 respirator because it does have a much better filtration capability than the uh, regular surgical masks. They fit better, that's the key. An N95 mask is supposed to be fit tested wherever possible to make sure that there's a tight seal so that you don't have any openings around the edges. Uh, you yourself have seen, as others have seen, many people wear masks and there's openings along the side where things can get around and in. Well, because this is such an infectious organism, they want to minimize and possibly eliminate that as much as possible. And so the filtration of these is far better than a level three, level two, or level one mask. Having said that, as you know, we're in a major shortage of these, so hopefully that'll be alleviated soon. And so one of the things that the CDC has said, who is our excellent source of information, says that N95 masks now are not to be disposed of after a single patient. These things are so effective that when used properly, they can last for a number of hours before they need to be replaced. That is good because that alleviates some of the disposal of these things. Uh, I've seen some information where they can last uh, possibly uh, six to eight hours uh, in the hospital in hospital settings. So these have become the uh, recommendation for this to uh, minimize as much as possible exposure of healthcare personnel, including dentists, hygienist assistants. Uh, when, when treating patients that may be expelling this virus. Uh, the fit is important, and I hope I don't anger people here, but one of the things about N95 masks that need to get out is what I mentioned about the proper fit. If someone, a man, has a beard, for example, or has a very thick stubble, 
the mask may not fit as well. And that compromises a bit the effectiveness of the mask. Uh, I haven't heard too much about this, but uh, in hospitals, when they were fit testing masks, they always make sure that the um, that these tests are done and the person uh, is is fitted properly. I, I think now because people are using them so much, those those types of tests are, are not being done. But in in lieu of an N95 respirator, if there's nothing else to be done, uh, then obviously a level three mask is all that can be used. But the N95 respirator at this point is is the one that's being called for. I think dentistry down the road may see some changes as to how infection control is practiced. Respiratory infections, uh, as we're seeing now, can, can be quite different. Our standard precautions have worked, but I don't know what's going to happen as far as the routine precautions uh, down the road after this hopefully has subsided a bit. Yeah, everything's turned upside down. We're rewriting the rules, John, as, as we go through this. Right, and 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 again, it's 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 the fact that people can be shedding the virus asymptomatically. Uh, that's 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 a problem. I mean, it's it, it's always been a problem with with many infections, bloodborne infections, et cetera. But here you have things that can stay in the air for extended periods of time, and. I think some data from uh, some group just published in the New England Journal of Medicine saw that the virus can remain suspended in the air for up to uh, a couple of hours. So again, this this makes these uh, types of respirators and mask technologies very, very important. John, when I uh, watched your webinar the other day, uh, you did have comments about donning masks and mask removal. Would you just briefly touch on that? Because I think that's something that I know I've overlooked that, and I think probably many people listening in have also overlooked it. But in this in this environment, I think it's important. I'd like you to comment on that, please. Okay. Um, one of the things is to uh, not touch the face of the mask with your hands, because obviously then you're you're getting it that whether you realize it or not. So by, by putting these things on, you use the ear loops, uh, you can adjust the nose piece. That's important because you want as tight a fit as possible. Uh, some of the regular masks uh, now come with a little, um, uh, I'm gonna say a metal piece that might be plastic on the bottom. We can actually pinch that and that allows the mask to now fit more tightly to the sides of the face. So you have less of those spaces. You've seen people with the spaces. You've also seen people that are wearing masks that have these uh, little uh, attachments, if you will, where the mask can fit more tightly to the side of the face. That's gonna give you a better seal with the regular mask. For taking the mask off, use the ear loops and take it off that way. Again, you're not touching the face of the mask with your hands where you've been exposed to whatever has been in the air from aerosols, splash and spatter, and then dispose of in the regular trash. That's basically in a, in a nutshell. But touching the mask, the face of the mask, as little as possible, if not at all, when you're putting it on. Okay. Uh, John, let's jump over to gloves and talk about that because that's probably the second thing that we're you know, pretty dialed into in dentistry. Uh, what, are your, what are your recommendations about gloves? The recommendation is as they've always been. You practice wearing gloves. Uh, when you started, when I was much younger, uh, people weren't wearing gloves. 
back when people first started putting them on, other people thought, uh, what's going on here? Uh, gloves work. Latex gloves, nitrile gloves. Uh, there was a, a type of glove that's come out in recent years called chloroprene or neoprene. These things work and they, uh, they fit better. Uh, they are single use. Uh, they are to be discarded after each patient. Uh, one of the things that can happen with gloves, and maybe this is where you're getting at with this question, is that uh, typically most people use uh, ambidextrous gloves. And those gloves are made on manuals that are pretty much straight up, that are not the shape of your hand. Over months and years wearing those types of gloves, your thumb is constantly in an unnatural, non-neutral position struggling to get back with the glove, but the elasticity of the glove pulls it back toward the palm. This can cause muscle fatigue, muscle strain, muscle damage. Down the road, years, it can cause uh, trigger finger uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. And clinicians in all health professions have had this happen to them. This was first seen, by the way, in hygienists many years ago because of the uh, wrist rock procedure that they do with their patients. The solution, previously had been to use um, right and left fitted non-surgical gloves. And people have used those and they work. The reason why I mentioned the chloroprene and neoprene is because these gloves, uh, they're ambidextrous, but the material stretches with the thumb. And so it doesn't force the thumb back to the, um, to the palm as readily. And people that have had uh, hand problems, uh, ergonomic problems with this, uh, other materials, I've found that these kinds of materials uh, do help to, to alleviate the problems with the, with the hands. But as far as gloves go, single use, no, uh, no doubt about it, gloves work. These gloves are all tested to make sure that they have the highest level of effectiveness. They're not perfect, but they do stop what we're looking to stop, and they are effective. They're an effective barrier. Thank God for them. I practiced in, <laughs> for two years in the clinic and dental school, barehanded, three years in the military. <laughs> sure, sure. And, 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 and they have made the world of difference, the world of difference. And we, we look back in those times and, and, and we gross out young people when we say, well, we used to do this. And they go, really? Yeah. You understand? Yeah. They don't, they don't believe us, uh, but it happened. Thank God it's over. All right, uh, we're going to go on the third lane right now, John. Surface disinfection and barriers, if we can. Uh, what are your comments about that? Barriers work. Barriers are single-use uh, products uh, that are to be changed between patients. Uh, you and I both remember when uh, barriers used to be put on uh, items. And we would wipe them with a disinfectant, uh, maybe in the morning, and then change it at lunchtime to, for the afternoon. The, the materials in these barriers can break down with exposure to different classes of disinfectants. As far as the disinfectants go, fortunately, fortunately, all this terrible stuff going on, coronaviruses are susceptible to a wide variety of disinfectants. They are single-stranded, enveloped RNA viruses. The envelope, it's a uh, lipid envelope that has uh, essential lipids in it, and this makes the virus much more susceptible than some of the hardier organisms to uh, different chemicals. As a matter of fact, 
the CDC a number of years ago, including in their infection control guidelines to dentistry, uh, published in 2003, uh, had a table about high-level disinfection, intermediate-level disinfection, low-level disinfectants with representative organisms uh, as to their susceptibility. Like coronaviruses are in the group of organisms that are uh, destroyed, inactivated by low-level disinfectants. Dental practices are primarily, if not almost exclusively, using intermediate-level disinfectants that kill tuberculosis. That's a benchmark resistant organism. And the manufacturers of those disinfectants also have to submit to the EPA data and information that they can kill a wide variety of bacteria and viruses. And that information includes some of these envelope viruses, things like, like herpes virus, for example, uh, HIV. Uh, so coronavirus data has also been included with many, many of these products, and now they're even updating it even more for some of them to show that these intermediate-level disinfectants have been shown to kill coronaviruses, and they have the data to be able to put it on the label. Not COVID-19 necessarily, but coronaviruses. There are, uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, other coronaviruses that have been around for a long time that have been used in uh, some of these uh, tests to look for efficacy of disinfectants. The bottom line is the intermediate level disinfectant, reading the label, looking to see what types of envelope, non-envelope viruses are on there, will give the user information. And coronaviruses are susceptible to a wide range of disinfectants because they are uh, their, their structure, fortunately, allows us to be able to do that. I don't know if that makes right. sense. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I feel a lot more secure after, uh, after this discussion. I mean, listen, we're all frightened. And uh, yeah. I think uh, yeah. a person would be a liar if they said they weren't frightened and, uh, you know, about, about this virus and where it's going to go. So you we're basically yeah. finished with our discussion. But, John, you know, you've been in infection uh, uh, control for a long time. And you've dealt with other, uh, you know, infectious agents and so on. Where do you see? The, how do you see this playing out? Where do you think we're going to be three months, six months from now with uh, with COVID nineteen? Before I get to, that, can I just say one last thing about the disinfectants? I just realized it. Absolutely, absolutely. And and this is contact time. Disinfectants are tested, approved uh, to have a certain contact time to be effective. And this is all clearly stated on the label. Obviously, surfaces have to be cleaned first. Uh, some disinfectants can do that, and then they disinfect. But the contact time for disinfection is important. So there are products that may have uh, 10 minutes. That's a long time. Some products have three minutes. Uh, more and more products have one minute contact time. It's important that the surface remain wet for the recommended contact time that the product has been approved for. It's not just a quick wipe and walk away. And now people need to be more conscientious about this because they are, as you say, concerned about this and, and fearful in some ways. So the contact time is important to follow. Where is this going? This, I don't know, I'm not a dentist as you know, but this is the first time in a little over a hundred years that we have been faced with this type of pandemic. Uh, 
and the 1918-1919 pandemic changed uh, the way people thought about infectious diseases. One of the things that I'm looking forward to happening is the development of a vaccine, which may make the transition so much easier because we, we may have an effective vaccine. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. It's going to take a while. Another thing is you're looking at therapeutic uh, antivirals, which also would help. Uh, even for some efficacy. As far as the practice of dentistry medicine, um, one of the things that is going to be stressed is compliance with infection control recommendations. Just the very fact that we're hearing so much about hand hygiene now and the proper way to do hand hygiene when everybody thought that they were doing it well, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't, is going to come more into focus. I don't know the routine use of N95s in, 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 in dentistry down the road. There are going to be some changes, and I don't know how this is going to fit in because N95 masks with prolonged use are very, very uncomfortable. It gets very hot in there. And I don't know about practicing dentistry with some of those, but th those things are going to be looked at. Uh, sterilization procedures have worked, of course. Um, barriers work, disinfectants work, but the actual practice of dentistry is, is, is going to be evaluated again with these types of challenges, just as it was with hepatitis B uh, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, you know, so the OSHA uh, regulations came out, uh, HIV. Um, standard precautions have done very well for us for so many years now. But I think this emergency is going to cause looking at certain aspects of it to see what can we make safer? Is this virus going to disappear? Is it going to be a seasonal thing? Is it going to come back uh, like the 1918-1919 uh, pandemic? You don't know. But I think that there's going to be a major reevaluation as to the effectiveness of what we're doing. And the masks will be one part of that. Interesting. John, I have a patient that my wife and I look in on. She was born in 1918, and she told my wife the other day when my wife went up to buy her some groceries that she remembers as a little girl her mother telling her that in that flu season of 1918, I guess it was 1919, that her mother remembers seeing people dropped in the street. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was extremely aggressive. Extremely aggressive. And, uh, that was that was the it killed. I'm trying to figure over 500,000 up to maybe 600,000 people in the United States alone, somewhere between 21 and 50 million people worldwide. It was a very, very aggressive virus, and um, it was a problem. It, it, it went uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, people don't forget that. No, they don't. Uh, well, listen, John, uh, on behalf of the AGD, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. And I know it's busy because everyone wants you to come on their podcast or their webinar and share your expertise that you've acquired over many years of, of research and study. And I'm just so appreciative of you spending uh, time with us today. Uh, very robust discussion. Uh, I hope that this can be uh, possibly marketed as a team training event. I think everyone in the office, uh, you know, top to bottom needs to know this. So uh, again, thank you for being with us. And I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope it was useful. I hope I wasn't skipping around too much on, on some things with you, but yeah. Thank you again for having me.
No, this is a great value for the membership. And again, uh, our most uh, uh, sincere thanks, John. You're welcome. Have a good day. You as well. 